understand, grasp the interconnectedness of healthy systems, be it in your gut, be it in, in your body, be it in the plants and the soil, and being on the, on, on the planet in general, because they're all interconnected. And there's, um, if you probe into it, you'll, you'll be surprised how close these interactions really are. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Okay, Resetters, on this episode of the Resetter Podcast, we are going to take a new twist with the information I've been bringing you, and we're going to dive into your gut microbiome. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a background, not only on the next guest, but on this topic. So for many, many years, we thought that our health was 100% determined by our human cells, specifically our genetics. And it wasn't until like the 1980s when the microbiome project came around that we we discovered that human cells and microbes are interacting with each other and that microbes are not all bad. I mean, stop and think about that. That's only 40 years ago that we started to realize, huh, microbes are not all bad. In fact, these microbes do magic in our body. They give us neurotransmitters that calm our brain. They help with mental clarity. They prevent things like Alzheimer's and they have a strong impact on our immune system. So my next guest is Dr. Emeryn Mayer, and he has written a book called The Gut Immune Connection. And this is his book that as you're listening to this, this book is being released just right now. His prior book was Mind Gut Connection. Both of them are fascinating. And in this episode, we talk about some very specific and applicable things for your life. One, we talk about what conditions in the gut are suppressing uh, the immune system the most. And we're not just talking about like infectious immune system. We also talk about autoimmunity. We talked about diets that hurt the microbes in our guts and diets that help the microbes in our gut. And it's a little different than you might suspect. So I'm excited to share that with you. And of course, we talk about fasting. I had to ask him what he thought about the research on fasting, because what we see with all of you guys is that fasting has a dramatic effect on your gut microbiome. And so he talked about that. Really fascinating conversation. We dive into everything you would need to know about the gut microbiome and its effect on your immune system, you will walk away from this conversation with not only a greater respect for these microbes, but with some really clear steps on what you can do to keep your microbiome in great shape. So Dr. Emeryn Mayer and his book is The Gut Immune Connection on Amazon right now. We will leave links in the show notes so you can dive into the science and the application of repairing your gut microbiome to improve your not only your mind, but your immune system as well. Enjoy. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. 
So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the Academy. And I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My Academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. I'm a huge fan of the microbiome. I really am excited about anybody who's putting out information on the microbiome because I feel like it's not talked about enough, even though it's talked about more than ever. It's still not enough. We don't give it enough credit and it's something that people need to be aware of. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you and super happy you wrote the book. Yeah, I know it's... um... Yeah, it's it's sort of the book has taken, I mean, I can probably say this when you asked me a question why I wrote the second book, but it's been an interesting journey, you know, from my my original complete lack of interest and expertise in nutrition as a gastroenterologist, paradoxically, to getting really interested during my first book, then more interested during the follow-up to the book with all the interviews and talking to different audiences, and then, you know, with, with the second one, it really dives even deeper into that. And, um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. So I, I come more from the brain side because, you know, the brain-gut interactions was kind of the thing that really fascinated me. But then, but then with the brain-gut microbiome system, that has kind of, you know, the, the, the diet part has sort of taking a big importance in this. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's interesting. You were saying that you wrote the book last year. Were, were you writing it last year as we were going through the, the pandemic? No, it was interesting because it was kind of a moving target as the pandemic. And um, I think a lot of people have forgotten that we're in the midst of this, this epidemic, which is equally, it's moving slower and people are not dying as fast as with covid but I think it's equally 
impactful, you know, on what what impact it has on on the healthcare system and and on people's health and mortality. Talk talk a little bit about that because the one thing that shocked me last year is that people thought we had a virus problem. And what I saw is we had an immune problem. Can you talk how do we determine the difference between both and what's your feeling on that? Did we have a viral problem or did we have an, a, a compromised immune system problem? Well, I mean, I would say it's, it's the two of them coming together. You know, I mean, clearly this virus is something that, um, you know, we have experienced before exposure to these viruses that most of the time come from, from animals um, and will continue to increase in, in their danger with, you know, the way we, we farm animals, um, you know, in, in humane ways of um, producing our, our meat supplies. And, um, but they also come from, um, you know, encroaching on habitats of wild animals um, and making this interface smaller between the wild animals and us. But there's also clearly, as we can see from the people that are most vulnerable to this virus, you know, is a is a good story to be learned. I mean, it's not um, mm. not everybody got it. Not everybody had uh, you had to go to the ICU. Not uh, and not everybody developed the long COVID. So there's all these factors that I think have to do directly with the immune system. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. and the vulnerability of, of of people. And that links it again. You know, to the immune system in our gut, you know, where most of it is located. What you, I find it fascinating that your training is as, as a gastroenterologist, and yet I'm finding many people, well, people in general, but a lot of the medical profession has not acknowledged that gut problems aren't just stomach aches. They're not just constipation, that an imbalance in the gut is something bigger than that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and bring our audience up to speed? Yeah, this is um, this is definitely not being part of the curriculum, uh, you know, in gastroenterology or even, even in medicine. I mean, gut health. And um, so typically for gastroenterologists, there's two things. There's either something you see on your endoscopy, or if it's not there, it's something what's called functional. And it's you know, it's dismissed as something, you know, it's not really that serious. And um, that has changed a little bit over time, but it's certainly not being replaced by this this concept of gut health or well-being, um, um, you know, that, that's not at the center of, of, the, of the discussion and, and of attention. Um, at the same time, you know, we have learned so much about uh, the these different systems in the gut, you know, the, it's not just the digestive organs, not just the organ where your, um, you know, your colon polyps and cancers grow. It's, um, it's, it's our biggest part of the immune system, biggest part of our hormonal system, um, has its own nervous system that is, you know, 150 million nerve cells. And, um, and then several other cell types, you know, and they all interact with each other. And then you add the microbiome to it. That system by itself, interaction of these various, you know, key homeostatic systems in our body, uh, mm. that the health of that system, that's something um, that has not, re- you know, received any attention really, I, I would say, from, 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 from gastroenterology or from, from the medical system. You know, I, it will probably change now. There's... It's been good that there has been this wave of, of interest and 
publicity and media attention. I, I think that is, um, you know, I've, I've talked to some colleagues um, that that are pursuing that um, as sort of the, the same, you know, the same concept, same philosophy that I've had in, in this in this area. Yeah, all you have to do is go to PubMed and type in, you know, gut and brain, gut and immune system. You can find thousands of of peer-reviewed journals talking about it. And I feel like it's a topic that just really needs to be shed, some light needs to be shed on it. And yet I think that many people in our world believe that you only have a gut problem if you've got constipation or diarrhea or something of that sense. So help us understand what exactly, how does the gut control our immune system and how would we know if it's not doing a good job giving us a strong immune system? Yeah, so I wouldn't say that the gut controls the immune system. You know, I, I made, a, made a big case in, in, in my new book about this, um, this concept of systems biology, that there's an interaction of multiple parts, and it's not one part that determines, influences the other. It's always feedback loops and <clears throat> It's really the system behavior that we're we're interested in, and so yeah, I mean, just from the anatomy, you know, there's this, um, uh, you know, seventy percent of our immune system is is sandwiched just underneath the uh, lining of of the gut, microns away from all the from all the microbes, and um, you know, so it's it's in very close contact to to, to these microbes. In a healthy gut, it's it's insulated from the influence of the microbes. <clears throat> but if anything happens to this this intestinal barrier, um, then you get an activation of which either can stay in the gut, so you have this this um, spatially limited immune system activation, um, which may not give you any symptoms at all. Um, but if it's more severe, then it affects the uh, the the tightness of the actual the epithelial layer, the, the gut layer, and then microbes can get into the immune system directly and they can get into the systemic circulation, you know? So this is, and once that happens, once you have the, the, the signaling molecules and the actual microbes in the systemic circulation, they can go anywhere, you know, they can go to the liver, to the fat tissue, um, to the brain and can, cause inflammation there, you know, and then we have this. So it's almost like the, you know, probably one of the main entry points for um, agents that can ultimately, for influences, that can ultimately lead to this system-wide immune activations. Would you say leaky gut is the most dangerous gut scenario that we can get in, inside of us? Probably the most dangerous. You know, there's there's certainly other um, things we can talk about that as well. But I mean, the the leaky gut concept is, you know, I mean, I still remember when the first patients told me about this this word, I dismissed it. This was like ten, you know, fifteen years ago, as something crazy that they had picked up from their functional medicine practitioner that. Nothing to do with reality or science. Right. And I still have not found out how this first came into existence. <clears throat> that, that, you know, certain parts of medicine or practitioners came up with this idea. So, yeah, in the meantime, I would say that is probably, as far as we know today, is at the core of many of our 
chronic health problems. And I mean, then there's obviously other things, you know, the microbes yeah. themselves produce um, produce many signaling molecules. I mean, hundreds of thousands of so-called metabolites. And from the food that we eat and from some molecules that circulate in our um, you know, in our system, like hormones, female uh, estrogen, female sex hormones, um, bile acids, the microbes modify those molecules once they get into the gut and then they're being reabsorbed. Um, so those processes with these signaling molecules do not require leaky gut. You know, you can have, you just need the microbes that can do this. That you make it sound so simple. You just need the microbes. Aren't the microbes also uh, struggling with the modern living environment that we, the human body is in? Yeah. So this has been something, you know, that's really been going on in the last 75 years since World War II with accelerated uh, industrial agriculture and, um, you know, ultra processing of food. <clears throat> Um, ingestion of chemicals, poisons, pesticides, <clears throat> antibiotics. I mean, there's been a constant uh, assault on the integrity of this, you know, what we call an, an, an ecosystem. It's a very complex ecosystem. And the reason that we haven't developed more problems is because any ecosystem is stable <clears throat> and resilient to change. That makes sense. Despite all these, these onslaughts of all these negative things, you know, that we have lost some some microbial uh, strains and, and species permanently. So if you look at the curves, you know, what has happened to our diversity, um, it, it has continued to decrease in the last 75 years and is continuing to decrease with many of the things continuing unabated, you know, these, these influences that I mentioned. And so that has, yeah, that has a couple of consequences. One is it does contribute, it makes us more susceptible, um, for example, to viral infections, um, because one major function of, of an ecosystem is its resilience and its defense against invaders, pathological invaders. Another thing is if this happens early in life, there's... Um, there's an altered interaction of the immune system with the with the evolving um, you know microbiome, and so the immune system is is less able to learn how to differentiate between good and bad. So the cause of the autoimmune the, the you know epidemic of autoimmune diseases and food sensitivities. Um, so all these things you know happen without. So you don't need the leaky gut syndrome to to explain those and. Concepts now about, uh, you know, Alzheimer's disease, and, um, Parkinson's disease. There's, there's many mechanisms. I, I think the most likely is it's a combination of that leaky gut and the inflammation with these other um, signaling molecules that our altered gut microbiome produces. And it's, um, yeah, so I would say welcome to the world of... Um, uh, you know, uh, welcome to the ecosystem world because there's not many diseases left that have one single gene. It's always interactions of multiple factors. What do you think is causing a leaky gut? So you talked about the microbes uh, 
not being prolific because of the environment that is going on in the gut, the ecosystem. What do you think opens those junctions up? Yeah, so so the junctions really are opened by you know inflammatory molecules, cytokines, that the immune cells that are located in our gut, just underneath the, the surface, that they produce. And 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 the mechanism that you know the way it works is there's a subclass of these immune cells, the dendritic cells, they actually their extensions reach into the gut lumen, into the mucus layer. And if any microbe gets close enough to those extensions, to the receptors, these um, toll-like receptors, then that that dendritic cell is activated, produces cytokines, the cytokines affect the other immune cells. And then the immune cells together, you know, there's there's many of these cytokines. Um, then um, act on these on these tight junctions and loosen them. So and the inflammation that goes on in, in that in that area, you know, loosens these tight junctions, and it's sort of like opening the floodgates to the actual microbes, the intact microbes. You know that, um, and and what's dangerous about that is, I mean, there, the the cell membrane of microbes has. Um, has molecules. It's made out of molecules like um, LPS is one of the best-known lipopolysaccharide. Um, another group of molecules are so-called MAMPs, M-A-M-P-S, and they they act on these specific receptors on immune cells, on these toll-like receptors, the TLRs. And when that happens, you know, in the gut, or then once these these cell wall components are in the circulation. It happens everywhere they go, you know, and it's um, so then all of a sudden our fat tissue turns into an immune organ because it, it gets inflamed and produces more cytokines. Um, same in the liver, you know, this, um, this, this, this um, NAFL, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is, is a similar mechanism that immune activation uh, plays a role in, in, in creating changes in the liver that makes causes inflammation. Um, and so it's, it's almost like a contagion within the body, you know, and it starts, the floodgates are, is, are, are in the gut. And I think we know that process now pretty well, how that starts. You're talking a lot about a cytokine storm and I'm thinking, you know, that was a term that or cytokines, that was a term that I feel like the world learned last year. And do you think there's the possibility that this cytokine storm was already going on inside many humans' guts? And then when they came in contact with COVID, they created this hyperactive immune response because they already had a low level cytokine storm going on. Yeah. So I think to say, you know, in general, I mean, most of these problems we're dealing with today are a, some form of a hyperactivity of the immune system. So in, in allergies, yeah. it's against um, substances that, that shouldn't, we shouldn't be allergic to. We shouldn't have a reaction of our uh, immune system. Same thing with autoimmune diseases. We should not, our immune system should not attack our mm -hmm. own body cells. Um, and with the cytokine storm, that's just the last, um, you know, the last example. And, um, I mean, there's a very complex balance in the gut between the certain cytokines like um, IL-10, interleukin-10, produced by 
subset of immune cells called the T-Rex cells. And that IL-10 is anti-inflammatory. So if there's an imbalance between the IL-10 and the other inflammatory, pro-inflammatory cytokines, um, then you have a state of enhanced inflammation potential. And if that was present in people, it's it's sort of hard to say retroactively, you know, because um, so we don't have data on all the people that develop COVID, even though on some of them, so there will be studies coming out on that topic because on some, some of the patients that later developed or died or developed long COVID, there were um, blood samples available from before they fell ill. But it's the general concept is that um, anybody who has any of these non, what's called non-infectious chronic diseases, so they make up our chronic disease epidemic, you know, heart disease, colon cancer, Alzheimer's, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, um, there's, there's a whole range of these diseases, and they often co-occur in the same patient. Um, risk factors are obesity and um, uh, an unhealthy diet, and you know, and and metabolic uh, dysregulation. And this kind of breaks down people in lower socioeconomic um, parts of our country mm-hmm. are more likely to have these diseases for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, less less access to healthcare, um, unhealthy diet, probably the main thing. Um, and so this group of society has been at by far at increased risk to develop, not only to develop um, regular, you know, COVID-19 infection, but also the more severe forms and this, this cytokine storm. And um, it's it's sort of, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I always thought, you know, um, so if if you look at populations around the world who have the healthiest gut microbiome, the most diverse and the richest, it's populations that live on the Orinoco River in, in Brazil and, and, and Venezuela. And um, so I have a particular interest in those because during my college time, I was fortunate to be on a film expedition to these people. And... Um, Unfortunately, they are particularly susceptible, you know, and, but, but this is something else because they've never been exposed to many of our viruses and infectious diseases. It's just the same as with, uh, you know, indigenous populations everywhere in the U.S. as well, that when, you know, Europeans came, they died, you know, rapidly from, from these infections. So this is, a, so the microbiome cannot apparently protect you against those kind of, um, or, or, you know, yeah, cannot protect you from this. There must be other factors. As I said, if if a population has never been exposed to Western infectious diseases, then, you know, the immune system just doesn't know how to react to them. I was going to say, is that a, a training of the immune system? You know, there's a lot of talk about how we really enhance our immune system by small doses of exposure to a variety of bacteria and viruses. So when I hear you talk about that, I'm wondering if they're just exposed to different viruses, different bacteria, so they're not they're not getting the more Western infections. And maybe if you plopped them in New York uh, in 2019, they may have been better prepared to handle 
the virus in 2020. Yeah, and and that's an interesting thing because you know the training, the, what do you call it, the training of the immune system? Um, the optimal training seems to require infections, chronic infections with with organisms and parasites that are not very dangerous. You know that you can live with. Um, right. So many of these uh, indigenous people, they have these infections. You know they, um, and but their immune system gets used to that. Um, and so, but if they're exposed to something that comes from the outside, is not part of their natural environment, uh, then you know they're they're even more vulnerable than 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 people in the in the U.S. with a compromised microbiome. Yeah. Um, How much do you think stand the standard American diet is contributing to our a deficient microbiome? A lot, I would say. <laughs> I would say that if I had to single out one factor, um, it, it would probably top the list. And um, that also is relatively simply explained by that, you know, our diet has lost in diversity. First of all, it's lost in the components of, of plant-based foods in general um, and replace it with, with animal-based products. Uh, secondly, the diversity of these plant-based foods have, has gone down dramatically, you know, the Mm. The types of grains or the types of of beans or anything, you know, has gone down from hundreds to less than a handful. And so even if somebody eats a healthy diet, um, you know, largely plant rich in vegetables and fruits, they'll get a, a much smaller variety of, of, um, of these plant-based molecules, which are essential for the diversity of the microbiome. And the two categories are the fiber on the one side, you know, it's not just one type of molecule. There's hundreds of different types of chemical structures that make up these fibers from different. Um, and then the other group of, of molecules are these uh, polyphenols or antioxidants um, that are these large molecules, again, that you need the microbes to break them down. So if you reduce the diversity of the plant-based foods that you ingest, you also greatly reduce the amount of um, of, of, of these of these microbe targeted food items, and so the microbes are starving. Mm. On top of that, you know what's happened with the ultra processed food. We don't leave even that reduced diversity of food. We don't leave alone. So we process and over process it, and um, to to a degree that many of these large molecules are broken down and absorbed in the small intestine. So they no longer go down into the large intestine. So we really have been starving our microbiome. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that, and, um, and, and that process has been going on ever since humans invented cooking. Um, I've forgotten how, yeah. how long this goes back for more than a hundred thousand years. And, but initially th this wasn't as extreme as it is now, you know, um, I think there's definitely been an exponential increase of of this processing, um, ultra processing in the last 50, 75 years, because food companies, um, in combination with industrial agriculture, I mean, they, this goes hand in hand, you know, industrial agriculture produces these, these monocultures of crops because it's cheaper to produce. Right. And then... Uh, the food industry takes these and, process, and over processes them to so take out even the good parts out of these uh, out of these foods, you know, and adds 
adds sugar to it and takes out fiber. And you can almost go to 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 a market, and you know, if you look for for natural high fiber foods, so rice is the white rice is still considered the best one. Um, pasta, you know, the pasta that you get now in in, in Italian restaurant is is almost devoid of fiber. So most things that in in industrialized societies and in the standard American diet, well, potatoes is another example. You know, potatoes are now optimized for for making French fries, and those potatoes have a very low fiber content compared to um, sweet potatoes, for example. You know, which are a staple food of the Okinawan. That's my favorite food. <laughs> Literally, well, you you in that you know you're totally conscious in that space, but you're not representative for the majority. <laughs> so, with the num- with the number one thing we could do to feed our microbiome be fiber, fiber, and these polyphenols. So, polyphenols are these large molecules, you know, they cannot be absorbed in the small intestine. Um, they are part um, of every fruit, highest in um, in berries. All kinds of berries, um, red wine, um, red wine. Even though I mean, red wine is not on on the top of the the, the list of these. You know, it's it, it's always sort of um, been used as, as as the example of polyphenols. But um, there are many other things, particularly I would say berries, nuts, and seeds uh, that have higher. And just about any vegetable has it. And there's and again, there's not just one. You know, there's hundreds, probably thousands of different molecules. And so why is it so important when I emphasize, you know, that diversity of fiber and, and polyphenols? Because um, micro, many microbes are specialists. They don't, they don't digest any, any kind of fiber. They're specialists mm. on certain types of fiber, certain types of polyphenols. And so if you feed them this large variety, um, you force the system to add on other specialists so that can help mm. and and you expand you know the uh, the ecosystem of 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 that um, um, food food process this endogenous food processing system in 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 your in your gut and if you do this, I think you asked that before if if you do this today, so obviously our diversity and richness has gone down a lot um continues to go down. And you could say, well, it's too late. So, you know, maybe some of these um, strains have gone extinct. So why why should I pay much attention to this? Well, before they go into extinction, as we know from macro ecosystems like the jungle or... So before species goes into existence, it goes into, um, uh, you know, being, being totally eliminated, it, it goes through a stage where it's almost undetectable. But there's still a very low level of those organisms present. So now if you bring in this food, you nurture and you grow back, you know, like a, like a gardener, you know, you, you bring back things that, that have not been doing well. Yeah. And uh, if you're lucky, uh, they, there's enough left of them that, you know, they come back. Um, yeah. So you, you can restore your ecosystem, you know, that, you know, we've done thousands of gut tests on our, uh, on our resetters and not one, I kid you not, not one. I think I had maybe a little bit of an inkling of one in a child, but not one had enough diversity. The, the, the test came back that their microbe diversity was very low 
and they had created this monoculturing of their microbiome. Do you think that's because we tend to eat the same foods over and over and over again? Is it because if I'm eating the standard American diet, I'm always eating the standard American diet. If I love sweet potatoes, I'm always eating sweet potatoes. What is it that we can do to really improve the diversity? Do we need to buy from different farms all the time? How do we get that diversity up? No, I mean, if, if you rotate, I mean, first of all, I think you have to become aware of the problem. You know, it's not for sure. You know, you can be a vegetarian by just eating pizza, but that's not going to good good for your health. Well said. You know, and it and and it's the same. Uh, you can be a vegetarian just eating carrots. You know, and it's not going to particularly carrots that have been, you know, um, selected from hundreds of different types of carrots to the one that has the most sugar in it because that that's the tastiest. You yes. Know. Uh, <clears throat> so it as 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 much as different types. You can use seasons to influence that process. You know, you mm. get different varieties, particularly so in, so in California, we overcome this obviously by having everything available all the time. That's true. But not in all, uh, you know, not in all parts of the country, not all parts of the world. So you can rotate them seasonally. And we know that that's a good thing for microbes. The ones that don't get enough of the variety. So we know this from studies in Africa. Um, amongst um you know people at the, the Hatsa, people that that sort of the descendants of uh, or, or the last remnants of hunter gatherers so they have this seasonal food supply and they have a season where <clears throat> the diversity of their food intake goes way down as does the um the diversity of the microbes and the molecules that the microbes produce this goes down to almost a level that's comparable to our Western, our standard American diet situation. Interesting. The difference is when they then eat, go into another season, they all come back. Uh, so they, they they don't go extinct. You know, they just are suppressed to a very low level. Yeah. So clearly, you know, you may not have access to all the same fresh vegetables in, in wintertime. <clears throat> Many parts of the U.S., uh, as you have in, 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 in the summer. Yeah, so this is something, I mean, going also another thing is just going to, uh, if you know the source, uh, where and how it's grown has also a big influence. Yeah. So the polyphenol content, for example, is dependent on the health of the soil and the microbes in the soil. So if this, if this food is grown, and, you know, it's a big discussion about this aquaponics, mm. that this could allow us to, you know, double, triple our, our food supplies, but they're grown in waters and they're no longer, the, the, the roots are no longer in soil and not exposed to the microbes. So these, these foods have a much lower um, concentration of, um, of, of these health beneficial uh, molecules. So you want to know exactly where it comes from, how, it's, how it, is it grown? Uh, is it grown in an organic fashion or in better regenerative organic fashion? Um, so get to know your farmer is what I heard. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally 
This program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us, is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you gotta do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. What do you think? I'm curious what you think about uh, fasting because I have this new aha since we have a tremendous amount of people in our community that fast together, that chronic disease is coming from the standard American diet, but getting everybody from the standard American diet to the whole foods diet, it could be expensive. But what if we got everybody to fast? The research that I see on fasting shows that you can repair the microbiome. Everybody can afford to fast. What are your thoughts on fasting for repairing this? Yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, you know, to date, I mean, there's been 30 years of, of uh, preclinical research on fasting in mouse models and shown that it increases longevity. I mean, when I start with, when I was still in college, I, I remember once visiting a, a lab at UCLA that, um, you know, somebody did studies, it was a famous guy, somebody did studies in fasting mice and, and they lived, you know, 20% longer uh, and stayed healthy. So we've known this for a long time in in, in animals. I've, you know, I have done animal studies in the past. I've become a big skeptic of the translatability of, mm. I mean, you can show anything in a mouse that you cannot reproduce in, in, in humans, you know, because of the different genes and the, the heterogeneity and there's many factors. But um, there's some evidence, um, you know, that fasting has benefits on, 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 on metabolism, for sure, um, on metabolic syndrome. Um, there's also some really interesting uh, data on um, one, one form. I mean, I don't really call it fasting, but it's, it's, it's included in this intermittent fasting uh, categories, the, the time-restricted eating. Mm -hmm. I, I find that particularly attractive for two reasons. One, it's practical. Um, anybody can do this. You know, exactly. To, to compress the time. Um, when you eat to, to eight hours a day or less. Um, so we have been doing it during the pandemic and have not really felt that this is incompatible with a normal lifestyle. Um, and um, so there are fascinating studies that during that, so, I mean, two things happen. One is if no food is in your, in, in your GI tract, then it switches, the entire function of your GI tract switches to a different pattern. Um, it switches from these unique contractions that you have when food is in there, 
peristaltic reflex and mixing and grinding. And it goes to a very different clockwork kind of pattern that every 90 minutes, you have this big contractile wave going through from your esophagus to the end of your intestine, which moves everything with it, including microbes, removing them from areas where they don't belong to, like this, the, the first part of the small intestine. Yeah, SIBO stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one thing that protects us against SIBO is this, what's called the migrating motor complex of the GI tract during fasting. For most people, that pattern has been reduced to the time that they sleep, even though in other <clears throat> you know, um, cultures, so I'm coming back to these indigenous people on the Orinoco River, you know, that sort of, um, I, I mean, they, they, they don't munch or eat throughout the day. They don't even have time because they're walking outside or go hunting. Um, huh. But they sleep there 12 hours from sundown to sun up. And so they have at least 12 hours, absolutely nothing in the stomach. And then um, unfortunately, at the time when I was there, you know, I, I was not aware of all these questions. I would love to go there now and, I and, bet, cast, I bet. and cast all these, these theories. But um, in in the West, um, so we have even, even the... The, the nighttime we have encroached upon with 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 food you know there's um, snacks after dinner and a glass of wine after dinner and um, um, and then you know for many people a big breakfast and so, uh, early breakfast because they they have to commute and get up at five o'clock so they and then there are these people that um, pride themselves that so they only need to sleep four hours and then they can work again with something in their stomach. So all this has sort of encroached on this time that our GI tract is in this cleansing fashion. Mm. And, uh, and um, so that's one. At the same time, secretions into the, into the gut go along with this cyclical pattern. And um, what we know recently is that the, the, what's called the, the, the geography of the microbes with the, in relation to the gut. So they are... The distance of microbes to the gut lining changes if you are fasting or if you're eating something. And so you, you, you basically change the whole interactions that your microbes have with, with your immune system and other cells in the gut just by having a long period where no food uh, gets there. And then, there's, and, you know, and then there's the metabolic thing, as you know, uh, you know, sure, um, that our body then switches to this burning ketones for for energy. Yep. And I mean that clearly happens to a certain degree during those this prolonged period of without food in the stomach. And you can even extend it by when you have your first meal. So we, we do it, for example, at, at at noon to have the first meal to make this consisting of you know, I would say plant-based keto. So it's nuts and seeds and and no and no car no easily digestible carbs, no sugar. Um, so you can extend that period where there's no sugar to burn, uh, even longer than the you know than these uh, sixteen hours. Yeah, you're, you're talking my language now. That that's exactly what I always say: is what you break your fast with will determine if the benefits continue on. 
So what I hear you saying is if you break it with something plant-based, something fibery, you're feeding the microbiome that is ultimately going to help your metabolism. Yeah, and that that first meal a day, you know, is is pretty high in plant-based fats, you know, the nuts and seeds and um, you know, the things that we that we put in there. So it's essentially it's it's polyphenols, fat and fiber and and no and, and and no sugar and you know no um that's obviously another thing we haven't talked about you know this this um why is the diet so unhealthy i mean the the excessive amount of sugar not just adding the sugar to your cup of coffee but the hidden sugar in uh, high fructose corn syrup yep. being just in any kind of food that you consume is um <clears throat> Has been shown to be bad for a microbial system and for gut health. So there's no, no yeah. question. Yeah. Well, that's why that's why I actually have this vision. I want I, one of my missions for 2021 has to been to get a million people fasting because I believe it's the quickest way out of this chronic disease problem. We are the food industry has trained our taste buds. They've destroyed our gut, like you're commenting. And yet not everybody has the resources, the financial resources to walk into Whole Foods, but everybody has the financial resources to fast. So we just, they just need to know how to do it. And the science is very compelling as to what it does for the microbiome, both in mouse studies, but also in human studies. How long do you, how long do you think it, it takes to change your gut? Cause that's the other question that a lot of our community has, has asked us. If I, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh man, I messed up. I've been eating the standard American diet. Now I need to start to change. How does it take days, weeks, years? Well, there are these studies, you know, the the early quite famous studies where people were switched from a vegetarian to a, um, a keto diet, um, and it switched within forty eight hours. Uh, I've you heard know. that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the adaptability um, is is pretty high. I mean, the microbes, you know, they have they have millions of genes, mm. many more than we humans have which gives them a tremendous ability to adapt to new situations. They can, um, yeah, even though, you know, switching to the, the pure animal-based, not a good thing for the microbes, for their diversity, because they, they don't get enough of the stuff that they really like. But um, no, the adaptability is, is pretty remarkable. Hmm. And um, it's also important to realize we, we talked about this earlier. So some of these, this, this uh, diversity has has fallen by the by the roadside with um, over the last seventy five years. You won't bring those back, but you can bring back the ones that are at a very low level. You know, on this almost undetectable. So and, and there's a lot of those, and you can actually add quite a bit of diversity and richness and abundance to um, to you, even if your system is compromised. Which is really encouraging because, I mean, again, this is what I love about fasting is it's the ultimate reset. You can start to repair the body. The human body is so inclined to repair and I, it's not, you know, but you're dealing with human cells and we have more bacterial cells than we have human cells. So I've always wondered if it is the bacteria is as adaptable or more adaptable. It sounds like they may be more adaptable than human cells. Yeah, I mean the microbes are much more adaptable, and you know what we see with these. Um, it's it's sort of hard to for, for people to to think think about it this way. Um, 
the reason we have this health chronic health crisis now, chronic disease crisis, is because our food supply and environmental factors and lifestyle factors have changed rapidly during the last 75 years. The microbes were able to adapt quickly to this in a way that, um, you know, it's a reduced diversity. They don't need that many players because there's much less fiber coming in and much less. So if you just look at it from the, from the microbe standpoint, they have adapted to this new situation, mm-hmm. but our gut has not. So now you have a mismatch of between these altered microbial communities and our gut system. Because our, our, our gut system is determined by our 20,000 mere, 20,000 genes. And um, this mismatch between these two systems is probably the reason why we get the immune activation. You know, it's, I mean, like immune activation is always like a warning sign that something bad goes on. Yep. In so, yeah, you can look at our current crisis as um, the warning lights have gone on um, to tell us that something negative has been happening you know to the outside and the and the microbes they, they will continue to adapt i mean if we you know if it couldn't be if we stay at our current um uh, you know standard american diet as some people have said this in theory hopefully it won't happen but if we stayed on this for like fifteen thousand years i don't think humans would survive that mm. but if, if we stayed on it there would be enough time for the genes to adapt for the human genes. So then potentially would actually get less inflammation because now our GI tract has adapted to it. You know, it sounds kind of interesting, but um, I think people have always realized microbes are extremely smart. Um, it's, it's the most abundant and um, the most adaptable. And I would even say, dare to say the most intelligent life form on, on, on earth. It's, it's spatially distributed. It's not in the brain concentrated, but it's a brain that surrounds the whole world. You know, it's a it's a it's a network of of cells that surrounds the whole world and interact with each other. So I look at this as uh, and you know microbes have survived any major cataclysmic um, events um, like you know the extinction. Five, five mass extinctions, microbes have always survived because they are better in adapting, you know, to extreme changes in the environment. I, d- I love this conversation. I'm so grateful that you wrote two books. I know your new one coming out is The Gut Immune, um, but your first one was a gut brain, right? Gut mind? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and I think both of these are incredible topics. So um, how do people find you? Where can they go? Can they pre-order your book on Amazon? Where where are you located? Yeah, so the first thing is, um, so this is the new book, which comes out in one week. Ah, exciting. <laughs> and um, um, they can pre-order it for from any bookseller now. And so the best way is to go to my website, uh, mrmaya.com which will give you information. So one is you can sign up for a newsletter that we have, the Mind-Gut Conversation, which deals with many topics of the, the mind-gut um, diet system. And But they you know, also can go to all the social media channels and um, present on, 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 on all of them. Uh, so I, I think going to the website, signing up for the newsletter would probably be the first step. Good that I would starting make. spot. Yeah. Awesome. Well, okay. I have five rapid fire questions for you that are unique to you, 
Um, so my first one, and I'm really curious about this. What do you feel like is the greatest health habit that you personally do to support a healthy microbiome? I would say it's um, adhering to um, a largely, an emphasis is on largely plant-based diet um, and paying attention to where this diet comes, where the food comes from, how is it grown, um, and when do I eat it? So this is, I would say, the, the main thing. Love it. Okay, what book or person really influenced you the most? You you have a very interesting story of going from a more traditional medical practice into this more functional world. What what was there a book? Was there a person? What influenced your uh, obsession or your desire to understand the microbiome at the level that you are educating people on? So uh, to be honest, it was really writing my first book and being being asked by publishers and um, agents if I would want to write this book like six years ago. That has taken me on a, on a path that was very different from what I had been on. And if I had to identify one individual, um, it's um, it's the owner and founder of Patagonia. Um, nice. Yvonne Trinard, who is... It was a visionary, in my opinion, you know, having gone from an extreme rock climber to, um, to somebody who is mainly concerned about, uh, you know, the environment. And his main thing is sustainable, organic agriculture with all the con- health consequences that, 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 that this has. So, yeah, I've had to identify one individual. And there's many others, you know, that have, have come up in the meantime that have approached me or that I have learned at meetings that are not part of the, the traditional gastroenterology um, community. Love it. Love and it's, it. It's, it's, it's been wonderful. I mean, it's really been a wonderful yeah. thing. Yeah, we, we're huge fans of Patagonia. We try to purchase their clothing. They have a food line that's come out. Just uh, support him in any way possible because he's doing incredible work in the world. So what if you, here's a really interesting thought that I keep thinking if we had people like you in the positions like the Surgeon General, what would last year have looked? How could that have looked different? So, if you were a Surgeon General right now and you wanted and you were instructed to clean up the health of America, what would you do? Well, I mean, it's a difficult one. I, I think that question is more relevant now for the Surgeon General to prevent that this is going to happen again, um, and. You know, because once the pandemic started, obviously it was an extreme emergency situation. You know, this could have, this if he didn't if he didn't have the the, the vaccine, it, it would have knocked out a lot millions of people in the U.S. It would still be ongoing, raging now. And so, I would say the main thing that I would do now is really to. I mean, this sounds kind of crazy of having been a scientist and NIH-funded scientist all my career. I, I think people should think about um, put more money into lifestyle modification. Yes. Starting in kindergarten and um, then in in finding out, you know, um, which molecule does a particular thing because that research benefits ultimately primarily the pharmaceutical industry who's going to make tons of money with it. Mm, I think well, if you if you change the lifestyle. Um, and that would in, would involve exercise, diet, um, um, you know, sleep, hygiene. Uh, so there's a, there's a whole range. I mean, you could have 
you you could have a whole course in school and you know yes you could preschool. yes you could just, and you should yeah you should and and teaching the kids and the mothers you know it should be yes. friendly so Yes. I always say that there is traditional medicine, there's alternative medicine, and then there's lifestyle medicine. And I feel like we need to start with lifestyle. And if we do, then we like to your point, we don't need as many supplements. We don't need as many medications. We really have it backwards. We go to the pills first, whether they're natural or chemical based, and then we try to fix the lifestyle second. We should flip that on its head and start with lifestyle first. And it's also something, I mean, you know, it's a little bit of a detour, but I, I, I sort of love this idea. I've recently written this um, this this blog post for our newsletter, which came out today, um, you know, about this whole revolution that's going on in psychiatry with um, the psychedelics. And mm, yeah, so, it's getting a lot of traction. Plant-based molecules, you know, I, I think we've come to a point now that with a healthy diet, we 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 bank on plant-based molecules, the polyphenols and the fiber. And now in psychiatry, we, we bank on another group of molecules that also plants are producing. And it's amazing. It's sort of I wouldn't be surprised if we are on the verge of moving away from this total focus on chemical um you know interventions that, that I hope so that is sort of like the last resort because we we don't know what goes on before that what leads to this so i i i think um yeah we can we can learn a lot from the plants and the microbes i think yeah. that very smart life forms on have you have you read the book overstory uh, i've not read it i've not read it Oh, you have to read. I just, a friend recommended it to me and it's about how trees communicate with each other through oh, the roots yeah, and yeah, through, yeah. through microbes. And, but it's told in a, in like a story, it's really good. So you would like it with your passion for microbes and nature and plants. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Okay. Last question. If you had one message for the world that you could get into everybody's brain and get everybody to understand, what would that be? <laughs> That's, that is a tough one, you know. Um, um, yeah, I mean, the, the the one message would be that that I've been promoting also in, in my last book, in, in my new book, is adhere to the one health concept. You know, understand, grasp the interconnectedness of 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 health of healthy systems. Be it in your gut, be it in the, you know in your body, be it uh, in the plants and the soil, um, and and being on the on, on the planet in general, because they're all interconnected. And there's um, if you probe into it, you'll, you'll be surprised how close these interactions really are. So if you wanna if you wanna fix one, I think you should address the whole the whole package. Yeah. And um, I think we can do this today. Uh, you know. Um, Agreed. I don't know if you can do it politically, but we certainly can do it scientifically. Hey, Resetters, I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for all your wonderful reviews and those of you that have left me comments on iTunes. I just greatly appreciate your thoughtfulness and how much you guys are enjoying these episodes. And it it seems like you're enjoying them as much as I am enjoying doing them. One of the things that I've learned in just interacting with so many people is that we've really lost the art of deep conversation. 
conversations. And for me, the Resetter Podcast stands for having meaningful conversations with people who are thinking about health, about life, about mindset in a way that we may not be getting on social media or in mainstream media. And so I just want to say, give you guys a shout out and just say thank you for participating in this process with me. Because as much as I absolutely love delivering the information to you, I love even more knowing that it's impacting your life. So please let us know if there's anything we can do to make this podcast more customized to you, to make it better. We are now officially in season two, and we are working to bring you the best conversations that health influencers have, that mindset changers can give, and to really deliver you something that you're not able to get anywhere else. So from the bottom of my heart, as I always say in my YouTube, from the bottom of my heart, I am deeply appreciative of you. I am deeply grateful to be on this journey with you and let's get healthy together.